Well, as we come to chapter 21, this climactic scene on the beach of Galilee, we introduced it last week, where Jesus first called his disciples to be fishers of men. That's the context. So this, uh, you know, they're out fishing again, John 21 and verse 14. This is the third time that Jesus has shown himself, revealed himself to his disciples after that he had been risen from the dead. But the conversation we're going to enter into today, so now weeks after the resurrection, is a conversation that's been sort of hanging in the air because remember Peter, remember how he said, I'll never, you know, others might, but I'll never deny you. And what does he do? And so this, this conversation needs to be had. But, but Peter must be wondering, you know, what is Christ going to say? This epilogue to the gospel is not merely a tag-on account of an isolated incident, but it does tie together many of the threads woven in John's account of the gospel from the very beginning, John chapter 1, back in verse 12, John 1, 12, John called for his reader to receive Jesus and to believe on his name. Remember, John always called for their consideration of what he was saying to believe on the name of Jesus. This call to faith then is reaffirmed throughout the gospel. It concluded there in chapter 20, verse 31, these things have been written that you might Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through His name. Now the spotlight of calling people to believe on Jesus now falls on Peter. Peter, you know, is the one who will soon preach at Pentecost. At Pentecost, about 3,000 people believe on the name of Jesus, all at once, all at the same time. This transition will move our attention from evangelism, not that we leave it aside, but evangelism has been pictured all along by fishing for men, right? Fishers of men. That's how they were called. That was the focus of their attention. Now we're introducing something else. We, we don't yet see it, but it's coming and it's pictured by the sheep, and that is what? The church. So we've seen evangelism, fishers of men, telling people about Christ. But now the attention through Peter, remember what Jesus said to Peter? Thou art the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, right? So Christ is the foundation. Peter was the one, the little stone upon which Christ will build his church. From the first time we met Peter, he has been a work in progress, but because of that, it'll give us a wonderful pattern for the making of a disciple in the church. How many of you know that believers are not made perfect all at once, right? And all God's people said, Amen. yeah, that's me, right? Okay, all at once, or even over a whole lifetime, your conversion or salvation is instantaneous. But as someone as well said, when I got saved, I got all the Holy Spirit I will ever get, but the Holy Spirit has yet to get all of me. You know what I mean? You know the difference in that? Well, the surrender, the maturity, the sanctification of the believer that happens over time. You may not be as impulsive and reckless as Peter, but the roller coaster of his life is a great encouragement to me, and I think it'll be a great encouragement 
to you that Jesus can take our life, turn it into something good. As someone has said, take our mess and turn it into a message, right? Which others can come and learn more about Jesus. Notice how Jesus now, beginning with verse 15, singles out Peter. So we've got, we've got six of these disciples. Remember the fishing uh, that they had gone to do and had to draw in the net, that story last week. But now he focuses on Peter more than the other apostles, and he focuses on Peter from the last, it, it's as if he's picking up on some of the things Peter said at the Last Supper, you may remember. And the way Jesus now singles out Peter is a beautiful display of the sensitivity with which Jesus deals with a faltering, failing, fumbling child like Peter. And yet, with all of our faults, for all of our failures, and yet, Jesus wants to use the likes of you and me to tell people about himself. And if you gain nothing else from today, remember this one thing, and your service to the Lord depends on it. Remember this one thing, this question that will be repeated to Peter, having made this declaration in the upper room, Jesus now turns to Peter with a different understanding. Lovest thou me? You declared you did. Do you love me? Of all the words you might choose as the key principle of our Christianity, you might choose words like faith. You might choose a word like hope. Or you might choose a word like love. And of course you know the greatest of these is love. But if you thought about it, if you said, what word am I going to use to tell people about the encouragement I get in my faith. It might be something else, but Jesus said it's love. Many people get this all sort of bass backwards. You get all kind of you get all kind of twisted up in your circumstances of life, and you think that by doing good and helping people, I will now prove to God how much I love Him. But that's all twist it up. If I ask you this question, is it possible for somebody to love people and not love God? Now before you answer, think about it. You've known good people, you've got a good neighbor, you've got good friends, you've got people that you know in your life, they're good. But do they love God? And if I flip the question around, is it possible to love God and not love people? And the answer to that is no. If you love, excuse me, if you love God, you will love people. In fact, John would later write in 1 John 4, love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he that loveth not Knoweth not God, because God is love. Now we've seen Peter's passion on display as he jumps out into the water, and he's the first to speak. But my friend, passion alone will never sustain your service to the Lord. 
If in any area of your life you've known people, whether it's at your job, whether it's in a relationship, uh, at a church, you've known people that start out with a big like, yeah, this is great, oh, I've never felt better, and, and, and they go on with how great something is. And then along the way, they just go missing. We don't see them in church anymore. The relationship falls apart. Uh, their job, they're not putting in the time at work. You know, that kind of... Why is that? Because they've never made that intimate connection. There's no love. There's no sense of attachment in that way. Peter was the first to proclaim his undying devotion to God but then he was the first to deny Jesus, and not just once, twice, but three times. And there is not a doubt in my mind that this threefold pattern of Peter's denial is on his mind as Jesus comes to Peter, verse 15. So after they've dined, right, that whole fish story from last week, Jesus says unto Simon, Peter. And I think it's within the hearing of everyone else because everyone else knows that this is something that has to be dealt with, right? They knew what Peter had done. Simon Peter, remember that conversation we had in the upper room? Do you remember your declaration in the upper room? Remember what you said that everybody else might deny you, but I never will? Peter Simon, son of Jonas, a very formal approach. Do you love me more than all these other apostles? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. By the way, I have to pause here. There's a little, there's a little caveat, a little, as someone, I think it's J. Vernon McGee says, that the English language is a beggar for words. Because when you read down through this little interaction of Jesus with this apostle Peter, you will find a word that is repeated three times. Love, sheep, know. And every, almost every time the word is used, it's something other than what you're possibly thinking. Love, for example, is one of those words. There's eros, right, the erotic love. There's... there's um, Phileo, right, like Philadelphia, brotherly love, and there's, there's agape, right, so that's the godly, deep, intimate love. So I'll, I'll kind of, I won't spend a lot of time, but I'll, I'll refresh your memory on some of this. So he says unto Peter with this agape, right, you love me more than these? And he says, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I, phileo, right, this, this, this friendly, you know that I support you. That's kind of what he's saying. It's like when your girlfriend says to you, well, you don't have a girlfriend now, right? When your girlfriend, your fiance, looks at you and says, Nino, I love you. You don't look back at her, Nino, and say, I care for you a lot too. No, right? Right? And that's exactly what Peter, now he's embarrassed. That's exactly what Peter is doing. Jesus is saying, I love you. And Peter's saying, I I care a lot for you too. Then he says, feed my lambs. Now these are baby lambs, right? So there's this other word that is, you don't see the difference in. And he says unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, same word, love. You love me? 
He says unto him, same response, Lord, you know, but a different no. You know that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. Lambs, babies, sheep are growing. And he saith unto him, then a third time. Now he dumbs down his question to Peter's level. No longer this agape, but this phileo, this friendly, right? He says unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou, carest for me? Now Peter is grieved. Your translation may say hurt, but that makes it to no. He's not hurt, like oh. No, he's grieved. This is now something that is, is hitting him down in his soul. He's grieved because now the Lord has said to him this third time, with his own word back to him, do you care for me? And he says unto him, Lord, now this different word, this different no, this different level of understanding. Lord, you, you know, right? You know. Thou knowest that I care for you. Jesus saith unto him, now we've come full circle, feed and sheep caring for the flock. So now we have the church beginning to be introduced. Well, that was an awkward conversation that you have to have with someone after they've been a huge disappointment to you, right? And your relationship has grown ice cold and you, have, you don't know what to say or do and you, you just know you've got to have this conversation. It's apparently the first direct conversation that Jesus has with Peter after his denial on the night of his crucifixion. Peter realized that for the true reconciliation to take place, this offense has to be addressed. It is significant to note that Scripture always attaches relationship to reconciliation. Scripture always attaches relationship to reconciliation. Jesus said that a conflict between believers can hinder worship. Remember that conversation, leave there your, your, your sacrifice and go and make things right. Paul said tension between believers can, can hinder our communion service. They've come for all the wrong reasons. You have all it against your brother. Make it right. John said, in fact, it is hypocrisy, 1 John 4, to suggest that you love God, have hatred toward your brother. He that loveth not his brother, this person that you can see, how can it be that you would say you love God that you have never seen? And Jesus now makes the point that your relationship with him is a prerequisite for your service to God. It's interesting that Jesus uses Peter's more formal name, Simon, son of Jonas, as if to go all the way back to the beginning when he first was introduced to Peter by his brother and by Peter's brother, Andrew. But no matter what translation you're using, the English simply cannot distinguish between the two words that Jesus uses for love, the two differences that are made in the understanding of no. Jesus is working through the underlying issues in their relationship by dealing with both the head as well as the heart, with both the knowledge of what's happened, with an understanding of that emotional and the understanding of Peter accepting his failure and how it's hurt Jesus. 
the first two times Jesus calls for Peter's undying devotion. And you just know that it had to sting given his denial. And with that in mind, perhaps not wanting to sort of overpromise, right? I think Peter early on, if Jesus would have said, Peter, do you agape, do you love me? Peter would have been the first to say, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. More than anybody else, Jesus, you know that I do. But it's not the same Peter, right? You know how it is in the circumstances of life, right? You're not the same. Peter doesn't want to overpromise now as he had before, and Peter responds with a fondness, a friendly kind of form of love. Jesus finally settles in on Peter's response of, of affection as if to ask Peter, have you learned your lesson? I think that's what's at play here. Have you learned your lesson, Peter? And that now grieves Peter because he would have much preferred to say what? I'll never deny you. I'll always be there for you. But Peter knew better. Peter knew now his own human failure. In fact, a word for no that Peter concludes with is not just an understanding. Like, Lord, you know, you, under, you get it. You know, I know that you know that you know, right? It's not just that, but it's a knowledge now. Peter is, is admitting, this is an emotional term, of how this I have done has hurt you deeply. Peter could have just gone on with denial, right? Pretending like it never happened. He could have concluded with others that it was so bad that I'll never be the same. But Jesus confirms that the same grace that saves Peter, the same grace that saves you, is the same grace that can, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, can forgive you your sins. That's to the believer. And, to, and can go on cleansing you from unrighteousness, right? That's the same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustains you in life. What a great lesson for all God's children to know that failure is never final. I think that's a good lesson. Failure is never final. As a result, we see Peter reinstated to ministry Verse 18, so now Jesus speaks, Verily, verily, I say unto you, um, well, verse 17 ends, Feed my sheep, verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 18, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself. And by the way, some translations, I'm sorry, but some translations just dumb this down to act like you're going to go into a nursing home and someone else is going to have to get you, help you get dressed. That's, that is not what Jesus is saying. When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee where thou wouldest not. And this he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Now, Peter, you're ready. Follow me. Before his denial, Peter had been self-absorbed, he had been self-confident and even a little self-exalting, right? I'll never, all of which actually hindered his ability to serve the Lord. Peter would have never been the preacher at Pentecost had it not been for the recognition of the shortcoming and failure of his own human nature. What we learn from Peter is that if anything is going to be accomplished for the Lord, humility 
is an absolute, 100% necessity. It's true in every relationship of life, and it's especially true in relationship to the Lord. Humility not only allows for the relationship to be restored, but in fact deepens the relationship. And in this case, opens the way for Peter to be reinstated to even greater service for the Lord. Now here's the key. Here's the key. The only way to have a vital relationship with the Lord, to maintain that relationship with the Lord, is not by what you can do for Him, but living always, only, ever in recognition of what He has done for you. Because anything else is pride. What you have done, what you will do, what you will attempt to do to sort of make up for your mistakes, that's only pride. What He has done was only ever humility. As a side note, whenever any relationship is broken, pride is always the problem. And you will most often hear it expressed by trying to do more, and as a result, you'll understand less, and your defense for yourself will always begin with something like, after all I've done for you, and then the argument goes on from there. Peter's calling as an apostle is reinstated only after his humbling experience. He's got nothing, he's got no defense. He's got nothing else he can say. Having said others may deny Christ, but I never will. And then sure enough, he did not once but three times. His humbling prepared him for greater service. Now go back and consider each of the responses Jesus gives to Peter's declaration of love. And again, there's two different words for feed, two different words for sheep. And we see Jesus' response. Verse 15, what does he say? Feed my, these are lambs, these are little baby lambs. So there's a different, just in the context of that alone. If I'm feeding you, right, I'm, I'm buying you a steak, and you feed yourself. If I'm feeding a baby... You know the difference, right? You understand the difference, and that's the difference, right? Feed my lambs, care for my baby lambs, care for, defend the young in Christ. Verse 16, feed, it's a different word. It's the idea of shepherd my sheep. Teach and disciple those who are growing in the Lord. So we've got the baby lambs, and we've got those who are growing in the Lord. And then verse 17, his response is to, it's like it all comes full circle, feed my sheep. And Peter is to provide for the ongoing maturity of believers. John would later write, you remember this perhaps in John, 1 John chapter 2, he writes then to little children, he writes to young men, and he writes to fathers. How many of you know you talk to different people at different ages in different ways, right? And by the way, we expect different as well. If you're a new believer in Christ and you're saved out of a life of whatever, uh, my expectation for you is totally different than my expectation for somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a long time. I don't mean to make more of it than what is plain to see, but it's Peter's calling to all aspects of ministry and all the needs of God's people, it would seem to me the simple point is that all aspects of the work of Jesus on earth are now being entrusted 
to the Apostle Peter, and by extension to all those who would lead in church. Remember, Peter is that building block. I don't talk to young believers the same way I talk to someone who's been walking with the Lord for a number of years. I don't expect the same thing. I encourage differently. I use different illustrations, a simpler message. That's God's grace. That's God's grace. That wherever you are in life, in whatever circumstance you are living in right now, that's God's grace. At work in the church, at whatever point you may be. And now Jesus takes the love that is restored relationship characterized by humility, and redirects Peter's attention. I'll go back to verse 19. At the end of it, what does he say? Follow me. Then Peter, (laughs) oh, Peter, right? You think he's all ready to go now, right? Then Peter, turning about, seeing this other disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? That's John, which also leaned on Jesus' breast at supper and said, so Peter can't help himself. Lord, how about this guy? Peter, have you not learned your lesson? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man, what's going to be his end? And Jesus says unto him, if I will tarry till he, till, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then he went to saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple should not die. And so that's, that's that, that false assumption now. Oh, I guess John's not going to die. <laughs> Yet Jesus didn't say unto him, you won't die. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? That's all he said. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. So John is giving himself the authorship. And wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The the which, if they were written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now those two words, follow me. He repeats them there. They take Peter all the way back to when he first met Jesus This was the call that had first redirected his whole life and is now capturing his attention again. It would set him back on track after his grievous denial and once left him with the thought that all he could do was now go back to fishing. Remember that from last week. But no, Peter, the Lord's not done with you. The Lord's not done with you. Peter's life was being totally turned around. And may I just say, you cannot accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior and expect that nothing in your life will change. I don't know what will change. But you cannot start out a walk with the Lord and the conversation be something like, I I believe in the Lord, but what's going to happen to... That's probably the thing that something needs to happen to. He's probably already identified it for you. By definition, the gospel redirects our life. We were once walking this way, right? And now having received the Lord Jesus, I'm walking this way. I was once walking in sin and I was following after the world. Now I'm walking in the Holy Spirit. I'm following after the Lord by definition, right? This is what I was. This is what I am now. 
Most understand verse 18 to be a clear description, verse 18 to be a clear description of how Peter would one day die. Some suggest, I think rightfully so there, by crucifixion. And some 34 years later, Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 1, knowing that I shall shortly put off my tabernacle, this life, this body, even as the Lord Jesus had showed me. 34 years later, it comes true. This girding himself is not about getting dressed. I mentioned that earlier, like he would later need assistance in a nursing home. But the sense of being bound, so it's, it's a sense of loss of freedom. And now he's going to be bound, and it suggests there his arms outstretched. And by the way, not every crucifixion was a nailing, but it was often bound with ropes. Tradition says Peter requested to be crucified upside down so that he not in any way appear as the Christ. Peter was now ready to embrace what his younger self could not have imagined. And yet his younger self still rises to the surface there in verse 21. When he asked about that other disciple... He always seemed to be in competition with. Remember that? Remember when they ran to the empty tomb? He always seemed to be in competition with John. And in effect, Jesus says, What I do with John, it's none of your business. <laughs> Whatever you or I are called to, I cannot answer for you. But what I do know is that we are not called to compare outcomes, or to look at anyone other than Jesus. If you think my job's easy, or if I look at another pastor and I think, man, he's got it made, or you look at someone else and you think that living out their life would be easier, if you had what they had, your life would be better, you're looking at all the wrong things. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus, just like Peter, in this most intimate moment. And he says, well, Jesus, what about this other guy? What's that to you? Each of us must be convinced that we are living according to God's will in our life and leave the outcome to him. By the way, that is faith, when you leave the outcome to God. The faith or trust of the Christian is not just for a single point in time past, but it is trusting day by day and with each passing moment. Strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Listen how the author of Hebrews puts it following the great faith chapter. Remember Hebrews chapter 11? And you turn to Hebrews chapter 12. So seeing we're compassed about with such great a cloud of witnesses, what does he say? Let us 
run with patience. The race that is set before us. I don't live his life. I don't live her life. I don't answer for him. What they're going through. No, let us, each of us, run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Trusting in God totally redirects your life, your thoughts, your focus. And with that, John seems to refer to himself as the author, this disciple whom Jesus loved says that so much more could be written. And all that he has been writing, all that he has said, was written for one purpose, that people might believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So once again I ask you, do you know my Jesus? Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace, the arms of love that compass me would all mankind embrace.